0: Well, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy and I'm a host for this podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Um Today's show is actually sponsored by myceudepot.com. That's myceudepot.com. Your one-stop source for all of your continuing education, license renewal, uh, online training. It automatically gets submitted to your state, uh, and you take the classes, and uh, you get your continuing education credits all taken care of. If you're an engineer, you can also get your PDUs. Class is taken care of as well for a broad range of topics, even for the building code, residential code, whatever you need, all there. Just simply go to www.myceudepot.com, or you can go to our website, masterthenec.com, and you can get there as well. All right, so today's episode, we're going to talk services. We're going to talk everything that has to do with Article 230 when it comes to 230.2, that is the number of services, and we're going to talk about how it relates to 230.40 and the various exceptions uh, when dealing with service entrance conductors. Now, that's all we're going to top, so I guess I shouldn't say we're going to cover all of 230. We're going to cover those two things in today's episode because we do get a lot of questions, a lot of emails, uh, a lot of topics that come up when it deals with the number of services that can be uh, bought to a building. Uh, and then how exactly does the 230.40 and the various exceptions play into the rule uh, when it comes to those service entrance conductors and whatnot? And it's important to understand they are significantly different. Uh, and while they are intertwined with references that, get, that send you back and forth, the uh, reality is one's dealing with services and one's dealing with a condition where we can extend those service entrance conductors maybe to uh, on around the building to other locations in a building and things like that. So we'll kind of look at all those examples, uh, if you will. I'll try to describe them to you the best I possibly can over a podcast. And we'll kind of clear up some misconceptions and things like that. Well, first things first, we always want to look at the scope of the article that we're dealing with. And, of course, 230.1 is the scope. The .1 tends to be the section all within all the articles that talk about the actual scope of what that article is all about. And that should always be your first stop when you're looking at something is just to make sure that what you're asking yourself to do is located within the actual scope of the article that you're getting ready to dabble in. And so of course we're dealing with services so we need to understand what the scope is of services. It says this article covers service conductors and equipment for control and protection of services and their installation requirements. So if it has something to do with services, uh, service conductors, things like that, you obviously know we're going to be somewhere in Article 230 for those applications. Okay. Uh, the other thing that I usually would draw people's attention to first, and I do this with students a lot when they're preparing for an exam, is you'll notice that there's a figure on the right that actually shows you the, the actual layout from the servicing utility all the way down um, to the service equipment, overcurrent protection, and then of course, even gives you references for the brand circuit and feeder applications. Uh, Most certainly, if you're trying to size conductors and things like that, you want to be in Article 210 or 225, depending on what you're dealing with, Okay, or 215 if it's just feeder, Uh, 225 being outside feeder and brand circuit. So you kind of got to understand the lay of the land here. But when I'm telling somebody to take an exam, there's eight parts here. So what I try to get people to do is up near the top, when you see general, and you'll see overhead service conductors, and and you'll see part three, which is underground service conductors, and it kind of goes all the way down to part eight. Uh, To the right of that, I encourage people to write down the actual page number that each one of these parts start on uh, because it can save you a lot of time in an exam. So you ask yourself, what kind of tip really is that? And let me tell you, when you're taking an exam, it's all about time management. So um, here it allows you to get to point A to point B as quickly as possible and that's what we're trying to do. Uh, And whatever time I can shave off of a question, Uh, and I can give myself back in the exam is going to help me when I get to those calculations that might take just, you know, a little more time. So in this example here, you know, you're dealing with part one, part two, part three, part four, all the way down to part eight. You might want to go and jot down what page each one of those parts start on, okay? And Also, there's also room in here for service entrance conductors if you want to jot down a certain section and apply to something. Most of the exams that you take will allow you to write with a permanent pen in your code book and then of course highlight it so it looks permanent. Um, But you need to check with your testing location. You need to check with your PSI if that's who's doing your testing. Make sure they're okay with you writing in the book. So don't just take what I say as gospel. Um, It's your due diligence to make sure that you can do that. Um, Most of the states that I work with, they allow you to market in there. You can't tape things in there. You can't tape little charts in there. But they will allow you to write things in there. Uh, And then, of course, I just, as a precaution, I like to highlight what I write. That way, it makes it very clear to whoever that it's permanent and I didn't do it while we're in the test taking phase because I'm not allowed to have a highlighter or anything like that while I'm taking a test so that's just what I do and that's how I teach my students that type of thing provided you're allowed to mark in your book alright but anyway you could do that it's a good little shortcut gives you a quick shave some time off that you might have during an exam so that's just a little tip for you alright so let's get on into part one really we're going to focus on 230.2 the number of services so there's a general rule here I like to say it's up in the charging statement uh, when we say charging statement, that is your overall uh, statement, uh, and uh, that lets you know the tone of where it's going, and then it gives you some guidance to what else might be in that section, uh, most notably in this one, you know, dot two. So let's read it and get a better understanding of what we're dealing with. It says three uh, 230.2, number of services. It says a building or other structure served shall be supplied by only one service unless permitted in 230.2 A through D. So obviously we're going to have an A, a subsections A, B, C, and D that's going to give us some caveats and say, well, we'll let you have more than one services if you meet any of these type of rules, okay? Again, more than one service to the structure, all right? Or to the building, I should say. All right, I guess it could be a structure too. All right, so then it goes on to say, for the purpose of 230.40 exception number two, Only underground sets of conductors that are 1-0, or 1-0, referred to as 1-0, or some people 1-0, AWG, AWG stands for American Wire Gauge, the old brown and sharp method, now we we refer to it as American Wire Gauge, and larger, uh, running to the same location and connected together at their supply end but not connected together at their load-in shall be considered to be supplying one service. So that's if I have a pad-mounted transformer and I'm going to run underground service entrance conductors over to six separate disconnects. And of course, you have to kind of understand the disconnect rule in, in 230.71 uh, and the concept of grouping in 230.72, which we do in another podcast, so I encourage you to listen to those podcasts. if you work If you don't know anything about those sections in the code, All this is saying is we're going to let you do that. Of course, this is kind of like paralleling because they got that one-aught requirement, which is kind of like what we get in 310.10H of the NEC when it comes to paralleling. However, it's not truly paralleling because we're only connecting one end. But you see some of the same rules kind of come in there. This also only applies to underground sets of conductors uh, in this rule. Uh, and, and again, it's 230.40 exception number two. Though, so those are service entrance conductors. It just happens to be those of the underground set type. Okay. Um, and that's a very common application where you have a transformer located pad. And I got a six disconnects made for a six unit building. And I'm going to come over uh, and each one's going to have their own disconnect. Um, but still one service, so it comes together on one end at the transformer, but then it separates to each separate service disconnect over at the building, grouped in one location in accordance with 230.71 and 72, uh, meeting all those rules and whatnot. Okay, um, so there are conditions where we can have more than one service, and that is conditions A through D. So we need to look at each one of these and kind of just go over them Uh, and what they bring to the table. So under condition A, it says special conditions. It says an additional service uh, may be permitted to supply the following. So you have six items here. uh, Fire pumps, emergency systems, legally required standby systems, optional standby systems, uh, uh, parallel power production systems, and of course, system designed for connection to multiple sources of supply for the purpose of enhanced reliability. Uh, we see that a lot in cop systems. We see that a lot in um, governmental entities that need to have multiple uh, systems coming in from different taps in the utility system in order to have the reliability. Um, so there's other means here that allows you to have additional services to a building other than the one service that's permitted to a building. Okay, So if you meet any of these special conditions, then I will let you take an additional service to a building. Uh, the one that I usually like to highlight, although it can apply generally to all of them, one that I like to that, that I like to apply is a fire pump. Uh, there are applications in the code where I have one service to a building and I can tap on the supply side of the service disconnect in order to be to supply a fire pump, and I got a an assortment of rules I have to meet in 695. That's article 695. Um, but at the end of the day, I could bring a, an additional service to this building uh, for the specific application of this fire pump. Uh, Perfectly acceptable. And this is one of the conditions where I could do that. Uh, Of course, in many applications, I also have generators that supply fire pumps and that's not a service, that's a feeder, Um, but there are allowances for that as well. So here we're simply talking about the ability to bring additional services uh, to a building. So that is kind of a condition we like to say, condition A in 230.2A. Um, We move on to B, which is special occupancies. So we have some applications that says by special permission. And generally, special permission means by who? That means by the AHJ. So they're giving some kind of special permission. And this is typically done in writing that says, look, I understand that there's a condition where you're going to need an additional service and I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm going to give you this quote-unquote special permission to do this Uh, and there's two conditions here or two items uh, under the subsection B. And that is item number one and that is multiple occupancy buildings where is no available space for service equipment accessible to all occupants. In other words, I can't put everything in one location. Uh, It's just impossible for me to do that. So you know, I'm going to allow you to have, say, two service drops or two sets of overhead service conductors supplying two services installed at separate locations for this single building where it's just no available space for the service equipment to be accessible to all occupants. So I have to move it out. I have to be able to have the additional uh, service drops to this building. And of course, if that's the case, where, you know, then that's one of the applications that I'm going to allow you to meet the allowance here under 230.2b1. Okay, So that is a rule that, that allows me to do that. Um, the second one is a single building or structure sufficiently large to make two or more services necessary. All right. So when we're dealing with that application, I mean, it could simply be a service that's just really, really large. Uh, typically, um, in this application... Um, you need to, to have multiple services in order to be able to uh, be able to facilitate this installation. Okay, so we're going to give you some allowances here, um, services for certain occupancies um, under the special permission. Um, maybe it's just simply impractical or even impossible for one service for an industrial plant uh, with sufficient capacity to be done by one service. Okay, uh, so the you know through the HJ special permission, we're going to allow you to have a uh, an additional service. Okay, and that's one of those allowances to do that. All right, and of course that differs a little bit from the allowance we're going to hear about in a second when it deals with capacity requirements under subsection C, which is another way that I can get multiple services to a building. The key difference here is in under the special occupancy, I have to obtain a special permission, whereas in C, which is a capacity requirement, it's pretty evident and I don't need special permission. Okay, so the one that's a single building or structure sufficiently large to make two or more services necessary um, it really doesn't have a, an amperage threshold. It is really something that this, by special permission means that the AHJ is involved in some way. And due to the size of the building, it's a single building or a single structure. And it's just so large in size and that they have made the determination that two or more services are necessary. Uh, and, and at that case, then you're getting your special permission uh, to be able to do that. Uh, and so that's how that rule would apply. All right, now looking at items uh, subsection C, which is capacity requirements, additional services shall be permitted under any of the following. The first one says where the capacity requirements are in excess of 2,000 amperes at the supply voltage of 1,000 volts or less, okay? So, 480 systems... 240 systems, I'm going to tell you right now, most of those that are going to be larger, over 2,000 amperes, obviously could be 480, but uh, are are probably going to be a 480 type system. Um, But uh, you just need to understand that this one, it's less about the voltage and everything about the actual ampacity. So if I have it sufficient due to my calculations in uh, Article 220, under part 3 or part four, whether you're dealing with standard or optional, and, and it comes out the fact that I need to have a, a, a capacity of 2,000 amperes uh, or excess of 2,000, I should say. Um, if that's the case and it gets over 2,000, um, then what I'm going to need is a potential additional service to, to meet the capacitant need, the, the capacity need. And so, really don't need special permission here. This is just is what it is. So, if you do that calculation that's necessary, then you'll get permission to have an additional service to a billing. Okay? So, that's what that one is. And, of course, you have another, a number two, or item two, under 230.2C2. And it says, where the load requirements for a single-phase installation are greater than then the serving uh, agency's normal supply through one service. So if you have a building and it's single phase, but the, um, the capacity that you need can't be supplied by single phase, then they might be, it's still not gonna be three phase, you're still dealing with a single phase application, then it might require that additional service be bought to that building. For example, maybe your utilities stop at a 400 amp single phase service for this building, but your capacity that's necessary might be 800. Well, if 400 is all they can bring, then it would allow them to actually bring you another 400 and thus bringing two services to this building in order to meet this capacity requirement. And so that's what we're talking about in 230.2 C2. So again, no special permission needed. It is what it is. It's all based on the calculation. The engineers do this. Uh, and then, of course, your building officials will work with you because, again, this is a capacity issue, okay? And, of course, item number three is a direct special permission rule. It means that it really doesn't matter about one and two. Um, you didn't need special permission to meet what's in item B or subsection B of 230.2B. This is saying, look, if it's a capacity issue, then they have the ability to give you special permission, uh, maybe it's not over 2,000. Maybe it is 2,000 amperes, but it's not excess of 2,000. So C1 doesn't apply. But the jurisdiction looks at it and goes, God, but it's physically you your capacity doesn't make it practical in order to 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 get you a 2,000 amp service. Um, you know by simply one supply to the building. So by special permission, we're going to allow you to have multiples. Okay, so you can get a special permission. It is alone by itself. Exactly as it sounds? Special permission. You get that in writing from the AHJ. Doesn't always mean the electrical inspector. So I'm gonna be honest with you. If I was getting special permission under this rule under 230.2C3, I would probably want to get something directly from the building official in writing uh, to be able to do that. Um, but you know that's the direction you, you you need to go with that. Okay, get that special permission in writing. Okay. And then we get to D, which is the last of the of the options here to allow you to bring another service to a building. And that's called different characteristics. It says additional services may be permitted uh, for different voltages, frequencies and phases or for different uses such as for different rate schedules. Because if I have the same voltages but I have different rate schedules if I can convince the jurisdiction that this is the case based on maybe its peak or off-peak or whatever type of different rate schedules then they might allow me to bring multiple services to a building. Uh, the most notable one that this takes place with is phases. For example, I could have a 12208, and I could bring a service there, and I'm limited to one service, but then if I want to bring a 277480 480 or drop a 480 system down, then that's a different phase. It's a different characteristic uh, that I could bring down uh, and do that, and that would be different voltages okay? as well. So I've got two things going on. I have different phases. That could be single phase versus three phase, uh, but also, like I just said, I could have the voltages. Hopefully, I didn't get those two back cross-linked each other but uh, incidentally they, they kind of work together so uh that's a different different voltages uh 12240 versus 277 480 brought to the building okay so you could have that as- aspect of it okay so if i've got different characteristics than what's already being supplied to the building then uh and I can do that as well. That is very common for buildings that have a lighting system, and they want to bring a separate that might handle motors, if they're 480 motors and things like that, to the building, rather than have a bunch of transformers in the building that have to step up a 12208 in order to try to achieve something. It really depends on your building layout, or a building that might have 480 to handle all of its large type of loads, and they don't want to step it down to a 1228, so they bring in a separate, if it's available, a separate uh, service, and that simply handles those loads, maybe for administrative lighting, things like that, whatever. Okay, So you do have the ability to add different characteristics to this aspect. Now, the last one we're going to cover in this one is E. That's identification. Okay, Because as you saw in the general rule here, other charging statement in 230.2, uh, we're simply talking about the number of services of the building. Now, once we establish that, then the identification component kicks in, and that's the item E. Okay, or I should say subsection E, I, I, I kind of mess that up all the time. Um, and it deals with identification. It says where a building or structure is supplied by more than one service, which we are permitted under the conditions under A through D, okay. Uh, it's going to say or any condition or any combination of branch circuits, feeders, or services as a permanent plaque, or directory shall be installed at each service disconnection location, denoting all the services, feeders, or brand circuits supplied uh, supplying that building or structure uh, and the areas served in each. And it reminds us to look at 225.37, which is obviously dealing with outside feeder and brand circuits as well. So it's really key component to remember that when I do bring additional services to a building, and I'm permitted to do so in 230.2 A through D under those specific types of conditions, uh, that I have to put some kind of identifications here. Finalic labels, whatnot. I will also say that it would be nice if it did state in here that they had to also be um, Designed so they can handle the effects of where they're located, their condition of use, whether it's outside or whatnot. And we do cover that later in other areas of the code. Uh, but it would be nice to have something written in here that that's actually states that. But anyway, you get the point. It's got to be able to withstand the location. Otherwise, it's pointless. Uh, deterioration due to UV or wet locations or whatever it is. Okay. So that's your identification. So provided that you can have the additional services Then you've got E that's telling you, okay, you've got more than one. Now we need to do some identification, okay? That's what that's dealing with. So that's a quick understanding uh, of what the number of services to a building and what you can have additional ones, and that should be pretty clear on how that rule applies. Now, we're going to shift gears to the allowances in uh, the application for... Um, hold on, let me do that, I gotta get my code book here so I can jump in it, in part four, where we're dealing with service entrance conductors. And now most notably, we're gonna talk about 230.40, number of service entrance conductor sets. Now, it says, each service drop, set of overhead service conductors, set of underground service conductors, or service laterals shall supply only one set of service entrance conductors. Basic rule that kinda of follows the mold and concept of 230.2, okay, one set. Now, with that said, this is where you get into the exceptions. And the exceptions are gonna be able to say, okay, well, I could come to the building with one service drop let's say, or one service lateral, or the allowances that we just saw in exception number two at 230.40, whereas it's their underground service conductors where they're connected at one end back at the transformer, but they're not connected at the other end, we're going to allow that. So we already kind of understand that one. So maybe we won't talk about exception number two that much. But the general rule is each service drop, set of overhead conductors, uh, set of underground service conductors and all that really can only have one set and that's it. Of course, when you get to that location, of course, then you have a uh, you could have a wireway or what have you, and then of course it branches out, and that's where your six disconnects come in, and and whatever you want to do, All right, <clears throat> And hopefully you understand the concept of 230.71 uh, for the number that gets you to the two to six rule, and of course, hopefully you understand 230.72 grouping because it's important that you understand the grouping concept, okay? Especially when you're dealing with this one because. You can get confused. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast about the grouping if, if I've lost you at any point. Hopefully I have not. Okay. Only one set. All right, now let's look at some exceptions. Now the most widely used exception here, in my opinion, is exception number one. And I'll paint you a visualized image uh, audibly, audibly, or whatever. We're gonna, I'm going to give you another concept so you get it. All right, section number one says, okay, we know the general rule in 230.40. However, it says a building with more than one occupancy, okay, more than one occupancy shall be permitted to have one set of service interconductors for each service as defined in 230.2 run to each occupancy or group of occupancies, if the number of service disconnection locations for any given classification of service does not exceed six. So when I run from that service out to those service disconnection means, let's say in an apartment complex where I want to run um, a separate unit on the outside of the building to actually, I told you I'd use the strip mall example because that's the one we want to use. Okay. I'm I'm backing up here. I don't want to get you confused. If I have a six unit strip mall application with six separate occupancies in it, then I could gain one service drop to this building. However, because that's what the general rule says, but then I can also go from that point of attachment and that service point, and then have service entrance conductors continue on to those each individual units on the outside exterior, because that would still be service entrance conductors. They haven't run through an overcurrent device yet to become feeders, then I could carry on to each one of those different occupancies, okay, and then I would hit the, the, the service disconnection means that's located at each one of these And Of course, I got to meet the rules of 230.70A1, outside or nearest point of entry, hit the service disconnection mean. But I think you get it. That means I don't have to meet uh, a grouping aspect of it. I have to have the grouping component take place wherever that service disconnect is. But here, I'm not at disconnects yet. I'm really just tapping, if you will, the service conductors and continuing them on to the actual extra occupancies that we're talking about here. So that's allowance and exception number one, okay? Run to each occupancy, okay? Now, it says, I'll continue on. It says, if the number of service disconnection locations of any given classification of service drops not exceeding six, the requirements of 230.2e shall apply at each location, okay? So that means the requirements for that labeling, the the location, the identification that we talked about has to apply to each location, okay? And then it also lets us know if the number of service disconnection locations, um, Exceed 6 for any given supply classification, all service disconnection locations for all supply characteristics, together with any branch circuit or feeder supply sources, if applicable, shall be clearly described using suitable graphics or texts, or both, on one or more plaques located in an an approved, readily accessible location on the building or structure served and as near as practical to the points of attachment or entries for each service drop or service lateral and for such sets of overhead and underground service conductors. Okay, let me translate that for you because that is a lot of words. All right. So, basically what we're trying to say is if, if you have the the number of service equipment locations for, for any classification of service actually does exceed six, then a master plaque or some kind of directory uh, is actually required near the point where the service conductors actually attach or enter the building or structure. So that point where it makes the connection to the building. Of course, then they branch off to wherever they're going. And if it's obviously more than six out there, let's say it's a 12-unit building, and it branches off to hit all 12s, obviously that exceeds six. So I have to have some kind of graphic or some specified text that explains this, or maybe even a combination of both. Um, And then, of course, at the individual service equipment locations, each of those... Are required for marking requirements uh, must also be provided, okay? And that's pretty much covered in 230.70b, if you will, all right? Okay, so if you only have six locations, then you still have to meet the identification requirements when it comes to uh, 230.2e. It's only when you exceed six, and of course, that you're allowed to do that. Once you exceed the six like my example of 12 units, then you just really have to get into some kind of text or some kind of graphical uh, depiction uh, or a combination of both at the point where it connects to the building uh, or if it enters the building at the point where it does that. Again, be careful. It's generally not going to enter the building because these are still service conductors, okay? so, um, But at that location where it comes to the building, it typically comes down the building. A lot of times to a, you know, that's also where you have your meter location. And then it'll continue on. Um, one of the things to actually remember is that when it happens, again, you're going to have to do a little more types of labeling, a graphic depiction, but then you're still going to have your marking requirements at all these other locations, and you got to meet all the marking rules that we talked about uh, as well, uh, dealing with the um, 230.70B, which provides for that general marking requirement, okay? All right. Um. So that's what we're doing with that. So let's let's kind of go back to the code now again and go a little further. Okay. So that's what you're dealing with with um, exception number one, and that one is pretty darn common. Okay. We use that a lot on multiple buildings. Okay. Merchant buildings. They might have eight units or so, or seven units, and it's supplied by a two hundred eight one twenty service. Okay. Of course, at that point you have maybe eight sets of service interconductors that can be installed with one set run to each different occupancy, okay? And it comes down from the building. Uh, And of course, each one of those services in each occupancy can also have up to six disconnects under the rules of 230.70A, so that's not an issue there. Uh, Of course, you're gonna have, because it exceeds six, you're gonna have a permanent plaque identifying the multiple supply equipment and where they're located. Of course, and then of course you're going to have um, okay, the HJ is going to want to know where that's going to be. So that's generally going to be the most specific area that they are going to reference you to place it. So I would encourage you to ask them. Okay, but since it is more than six, and then of course you also have your marking that's generally required at all of your uh, service disconnection means out there as well. Okay, so you got to meet all the requirements of 230.70 B. You got the grouping requirements. Uh, 230.72 for those individual services that are out there that are extended based on the allowances of 230.40 exception number one. Hey man, being an electrician is a difficult thing. There's a lot of things that you have to be aware of. Just don't get confused in the fact that when you're talking about services, you're talking about services. Now we're not talking about the number of services to a building. We're talking about the extension of the service entrance conductor to different occupancies of the actual building. Okay? All right. Don't want you to get lost in that. And I know you're not... You've listened to our podcast before, so you got it clear. And of course, exception number two is what we kind of just talked about a little while ago, uh, but I'll read it just to read it. I won't discuss it any more than what we've already gone, unless after i reading it, I feel like clarity needs to be done, then we'll do that. Um, I would like to say that probably the majority of them that people use is exception number one with exception to exception number three, which is a one family dwelling when you have an accessory building or a detached garage or something like that. But we'll we'll cover that when we get there. All right, exception number two says where two to six service disconnection means in separate enclosures are grouped in one location. And we kind of talked about that where you had the transformer, it's connected on one end, and of course it separates into six disconnects maybe grouped in one location at the building. It says, and where the supply separate loads from one service drop, or set of overhead service conductors, set of underground service conductors, or service laterals, one set of service entrance conductors shall be permitted to supply each or several such service equipment enclosures. Okay, so the note that we were given in 230.2 is just making it clear about those that are coming from underneath the transformer, underground aspects of it. But I think that you see exception number two here is a pretty daggone broad application because that very much can happen uh, in an installation. And we want to sometimes give people an understanding where you might need to use this rule. And so um, I encourage it to be utilized in an application where, you know, maybe I have an application where I've got one building and I got more than one occupancy with separate loads supplied by four sets of underground service conductors. That would be a prime example of the use of 230.40 exception number one. However, if I had the allowance for, uh, like I said, the transformer application, which is the easiest one to, to do, Um, Then it talks about the application where, look, I can go from one location uh, and I could have one building with more than one occupancy with separate loads fed by one service lateral or one set of underground service conductors per 230.2. Then that's when 230.40 exception number two allows me to take over from the service point, which is typically in the utility transformer, and individually go out and hit six separately located, all grouped in one location, service disconnection means, and we would still consider that one service. Okay? All right. That's an allowance there, but there is a broader use for the exception number two. Okay? Okay. And you need to understand it because I definitely... This rule doesn't specifically just apply to the underground application, okay? Because it clearly talks about supply separate loads from one service drop, okay? One set of overhead service conductors and what have you. Okay. Um, Exception number three, a one-family dwelling unit and its accessory structures shall be permitted to have one set of service entrance conductors run from uh, from each from a single service drop set of overhead service conductors or a set of underground service conductors or service laterals. What does this mean? Well, I have an accessory building. I can bring it to this, say, one family dwelling. And then, of course, I can continue on with those service conductors that are still outside of the building and continue over To my actual accessory structure. It could be a garage. could be a mother-in-law suite type of little building or whatnot. It's still service conductors. It still has an allowance for you to be able to do this. Uh, It's still one service to a building. And the first building might be supplied by an overhead. But it might pass through. And also, depending on how your meter taps work. Dual taps or dual lugs. Then it continues on and over to the accessory building and that is allowed for you to do that under exception number three. Very common to take place in those one family dwellings where it has an accessory building like a detached garage and you don't want to bring a separate service to the detached garage which you probably could but you don't want to do that Uh, and so you have this application that you can do that. Uh, The only other time that I would probably bring a separate service uh, to a detached building like that is if for some reason I wanted to have it metered separately and then you just need to clarify with your local utility which, whether they will allow that or whether in some cases it's not close enough to the utility connection point that, that you would have to spend quite a bit of money to make that connection so it's much easier to simply put it in from the one that drops to the house and then you can take care of it from there uh, and then of course you'd have to hire an electrician to do that and they're still service entrance conductors, but in this case, they're probably now going to be on the load side of the service point, and that's when the depth requirements and all this goodies come into play. And that's where the like, NEC picks up. Um, NEC really doesn't apply to the depth of cover, for example, for something like a service lateral. Everybody thinks it does, but it doesn't. Once it once it leaves from the service point and it goes from utility to the uh, premise wiring aspect of it, then that's where the NEC is going to kick in. Okay. Uh, The next one we would look at is exception number four. It says two family dwellings, multi-family dwellings, and multiple occupancy buildings shall be permitted to have one set of service entrance conductors installed to supply the circuits covered in 210.25. Now, at this point, I'm assuming everybody out there in the code world knows what 210.25 is. This is for those common areas. And so I could have multifamily building like it's talking about, and I might have common areas that I can't supply those common areas from any dwelling unit. And of course, that's what 210.25 says in item and in subsection A, which says dwelling unit branch circuits. It says branch circuits in each dwelling unit shall supply only loads within that dwelling unit or loads associated only with that dwelling unit. And of course, the B Subsection B of 2T.25 reminds us that common area brand circuits, the brand circuits supplying for the purpose of lighting, central alarm, signaling, communication, other purposes for the public or common area, uh, has to be supplied by s- separate equipment that is not supplied by individual dwelling units and or you know things like that or tenant spaces. So um, it's just reminding you that hey, the allowance here under this code rule is saying, look, we're gonna let you be able to extend and be able to run service entrance conductors over to what's called a common panel, okay? Uh, And that's gonna handle all the common loads. Indirectly, it kinda could also maybe fall under exception number one, uh, but it is specifically permitted under the allowance here for exception number four for two family dwellings, multi-family dwellings, and multiple occupancy buildings where I might have a need uh, for applications that typically wouldn't allow me to serve them through 210.25. And we just kind of talked about what that was. Common area, common area lighting, uh, other loads that might be common that can't be fed by the dwelling unit that might be used by the public or a common area, that kind of rule. So it's a good rule because we have a lot of common areas in two-family dwellings, maybe the lighting out front. There's rules that you could probably get away as long as each entrance has lighting and it's switched by that individual dwelling unit or that individual unit. Uh, but then that's a lot of times that's not possible in multifamily dwellings or even in multiple occupancies where you have to have some kind of lighting outside that might deal with, uh, photometrics, uh, the lighting requirements for egress and things like that, which typically can't be on any of the units panels. So good rule. Um, kind of tries to speak to the same language of exception number one but it's got its own little nuances to it and last one is exception number five it says one set of service interconductors connected to the supply side of a normal service disconnection means shall be permitted to supply each or several systems covered by 230.825 or 230.826 And of course, if you've heard my other podcast before on this, this is actually uh, 230.82 deals with what type of uh, equipment can be connected on the supply side of a service disconnect. So item five really just deals with all those tap allowances for me to be able to tap this on the supply side. Obviously... That's what we're really doing here when we're dealing with the requirements of of 230.40 under these exceptions. We want to be able to make a connection ahead of a service disconnect in order to be able to use those service conductors and run them around to these different occupancies. Well, you'll also have the allowances here to deal with your tapping for, say, fire pump applications or sprinkler systems or or standby power or whatnot, allows you to do this. Okay. Uh, As well as six deals with things like. PV or photovoltaic, fuel cell applications, wind, electric systems uh, that are going to integrate or even storage, energy storage systems uh, that are going to uh, be connected on the supply side of the service disconnection means, which the code permits under what we saw uh, previously in the code, most notably uh, when we looked at the allowances for all of these monitoring type of stuff that allows me to have it. Uh, so anyway, uh, don't want to digress down a, 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 a different path here. It allows me to have these connections uh, to this service conductors on the supply side as, as allowed by 230.82 for item five and item six. Okay, so that's kind of what it's dealing with. All right, so you know, in a nutshell, we pretty much covered uh, a vast amount of information in a short amount of time. I encourage you to crack your code book open If you haven't done that in a while, shake the mothballs out of it. Get back into your code uh, and learn that there's a difference between the number of services to a building and there's a difference in part four of extending service entrance conductors to other occupancies uh, within a building and all of these exceptions that allow you to do that. Remember, these aren't services that we're extending these to. We're extending these service entrance conductors. You still may only have one service to a building. Or you can have multiple services to a building if you meet the conditions that are pretty clear in 230.2, okay? All those conditions that would apply, all right? Hopefully you got something out of that. Um, it was a good episode, I think. It's about 45 minutes long. So again, if you have any questions on any of that, please feel free to email me at info, that's I-N-F-O, at masterthenec.com. Or you can go to our website at masterthenec.com or electricalcodeacademy.com. Just click on the contacts button and you can actually send us an email directly from the website if you don't want to use your email uh, and send it in that way. Perfectly fine. Uh, Visit our website and click on all those social media we have a lot of social media. We have a lot of videos, a lot of audible podcasts like this that you can listen to directly from our website. Of course, you can download the Spreaker app and listen to them on the go in your car if you want. Uh, incidentally, you could go to the website in your car and still listen to them all from our website because we have a player that's integrated on the website. Um, and we encourage you to go to our Twitter page. It's at Master the NEC. Uh, if you're a master electrician, we encourage you to continue your education by joining the CMECP program by going to mycmecp.com and learn more about that program. Um, and all those good things, help sponsor the show by getting your continuing education through our partner at myceudepo.com or of course you can go to our website and get there as well. Um, hey, that's enough shameless plugs for the day. Thanks uh, for listening. God bless. Until next time, folks. Hey. It's all about learning the code. It's a minimum safety standard. So, hey, I want you to stay safe out there. God bless.